Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 87, recorded June 21st, 2012. So we're starting our Star Trek Summer Movie Spectacular. Oh yeah, love it. So because we don't have a Star Trek movie the summer of 2012, uh, we're going to celebrate not having a movie by going over some miniseries that were related to Star Trek XI. Exactly. And really fills in an awful lot of story that you just don't get out of that one movie. Right. So this week we're doing the prequel, Star Trek Countdown. Uh, and then we'll finish that off next week. And next week we'll also start Star Trek Nero, which is, would you call it a midquel? Because it happens in the middle of Star Trek Eleven. Yeah. I, midquel. Sounds good. I like it. It, it gets the point across. So a prequel and a midquel, and then uh, when we finish up Nero, we'll jump back into Star Trek Ongoing, which is a sequel to Star Trek Eleven. So within these four episodes, we're going to have a prequel, midquel, and sequel. It's great. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> but, you know, really good movie, and these are really good comic books, too. I think they're really good. Right, and they're, they're done by the, uh, I mean... Roberto Orki, he was he's part of Star Trek Eleven, right? Um, I think they both had uh, he and Alex Kurtzman. I okay. think they both had involvement in writing, but definitely Orki. Right. So I think it's really great that you know they were able to do both Countdown and Nero and Star Trek Eleven to make sure they all meshed very well. Right. And I know Orki is. I'm pretty sure Kurtzman also is uh, some kind of creative consultant. On the ongoing series too, or at least the early issues. So. Yeah, I keep uh, I keep reading interviews of Orky and or maybe it might be Kurtzman. I don't know. I, I try not to get too spoilery for Star Trek Twelve, <laughs> but uh, I have read that they keep saying that the ongoing is dropping hints as far as what's going to be in Star Trek Twelve. Oh, cool. So I'm curious to go back and reread some of those or look them over to see what some of these hints might be. Right. That's good. So they're continuing on what they've been doing with Countdown and Nero, uh, right. basically filling in an awful lot of blanks. You know, there's, there's a lot of story going on here, um, and I just love it. It's great. Yeah, now, now we've mentioned it before that Countdown was kind of the catalyst that got us to talking about Star Trek comic books. And I remember when you were reading them, because I didn't want to, because I didn't want to be spoiled at <laughs> first, and you just kept going on and on about how they couldn't tell Star Trek Eleven without giving some of this detail in Star Trek Countdown away. Do you remember saying that? No. I think, I, I think what I might have said is I would have much preferred it if you would have known more of what is in Countdown. The, the movie was a great movie. Loved it thoroughly. But... And it moved very fast. It had a very quick pace to it. It didn't take breaths too often. But there's an awful lot of stuff that they allude to a little bit in the movie and stuff. But you really 
find out the details of uh, in these comic books. Right. Which I think is good. I've all, I always like it when expanded universe type stuff does that versus, yeah. you know, just getting some crazy gold key type story that really <laughs> can't fit into the continuity of, of the series that you like. That got right. you to read the comic book in the first place, you know? Right. So, no, I'm yeah. all over filling in the blanks with the with the comic books and the novels and things yeah. like that. Especially when the blanks turn out to be really good. I mean, as I'm reading the, I, I don't want to overblow it, but as I'm reading this <laughs> thing, because I, I really hate when people oversell me on things and then it doesn't live up to expectations. But um, I, I think a lot of the story elements that are going on uh, in Nero and in Countdown. And by the way, this is the first time I'm reading Nero. Didn't read it before. Um, I I just find it to be really good storytelling. I, I like it. Yeah, no, they're both good. I'm going to agree with you on that. Okay. I don't think you could oversell these. I think these are some of the best stuff that IDW has put out that's Star Trek related. Yeah, you know, I I agree. This is some of the best uh, Star Trek comic book stuff put out. And I think it's because it because you had the 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 hand in hand this the where the movie ends this story picks up and where this story ends the the movie starts picking up so right. I, I think that's what makes this so good is that it was done by the same people right everybody had the same train of thought right and and I'm just gonna say one more thing is we got to get going on this <laughs> might get get going with the story but there's some things going on in the story that I think is really cool. You know, really out there. Like, there's some there's some stuff with Worf that we're going to see eventually. Spoiler, g Come on. <laughs> there's some stuff we're going to see with Worf, which is pretty cool. And it's like, that is what a Klingon should be, you know. You know, the kid gloves come off, uh, and I think that's pretty cool. And I've uh, never seen quite... Although there were a few episodes on Deep Space Nine, one in particular I'm thinking of, where Worf got the snot kicked out of him. But um, I, I like it. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, do you want to just go ahead and get into the issues? Let's do it. Issue number one. All right, so I got the privilege of doing issue number one. Um, this came out, I believe, January of 2009. Uh, I'm reading it off of a graphic novel. I don't have the actual issue in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it has a January 2009 cover date. Is that right, Ken? Correct. All right, and uh, so the story is Roberto Orkey and Alex Kurtzman. The writers is Mike Johnson and Tim Jones. Uh, artist is David Mencina. Uh, color art is Giovanna Nero. Uh, additional colors is David Messina and Paolo Madalini. All right, and then... Letterer is Chris Mowry. Creative consultant is David Boronoff. Original series editor is Andy Schmidt and Scott Dunbuyer. The cover for this one, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, kind of just like a half shot of Nero's face. Is that the cover you have, Ken, or did you get the photo cover? Yeah, that, the, the main cover is an artist's drawing of Nero, uh, part of his face close-up. Yes. Right. Then there was also a photo cover, which is 
a photo of Eric Bana as Nero with the tattoos. So the Nero that's the artwork Nero has hair and, and is lacking the tattoos. And it's kind of shaded blue, dark blue. And All as right. the story goes... Go ahead. Ken? You'll see why he's got no tattoos. Yeah, pretty soon. All right, so uh, the story starts off. It's year 2387, so that puts it eight years after Shizan's attempt to destroy Earth in Star Trek Nemesis. So in during that time, those eight years, the Federation and the Romulan Empire has made some great strides into bringing about galactic peace. So the story starts off in a desolate sector of Romulan space called the Hubis System. Captain Nero and his crew are in the midst of a delicate mining operation. They are expecting a big haul with the surprise of large amounts of decalithium. So Nero orders the crew to discontinue the mining efforts after the science officer informs him that the sun is starting to expand. Uh, the solar flares are making a beam-out impossible, so he orders evac shuttles to retrieve the crew from the planet and, and then beam them back. They do not have time to reel in the drill, which is obviously a, uh, a big thing to lose uh, when you're a small mining ship. The ship is only able to barely warp away before the planet is caught up in the supernova-type phenomenon and is destroyed. So a few days later, Ambassador Spock is in addressing the Romulan Senate. He starts off by paraphrasing Shakespeare with, Friends, Romulans, we share the same ears. And the Romulans find this quite funny. He then starts to describe how the supernova in the Hubis system is building on itself, and that it will soon engulf the entire Romulan Empire. He outlines that there might be a way to use the Vulcan Academy to convert some of the decalithium into red matter that would create a black hole that will absorb the nova. The Romulans do not agree with this and state that this is some sort of Vulcan ploy since the Romulan scientists have been studying the events on Hubis and do not come to the same conclusions. Nero speaks up, representing the mining guild. He agrees with Spock and that the danger is real. The leaders do not agree with Spock nor Nero. Sometime later, Nero is confiding the recent events with his pregnant wife, Mandana. She tells him that he needs to do what his heart tells him is right. Later that evening, Spock has paid a visit to Nero's home. They discuss Spock's plan, and Spock shows him evidence that the Nova is indeed growing larger. Nero agrees to help the Vulcan. He just needs to round up his crew. In a Romulan bar... Nero convinces his crew to aid him in, a, in secretly mining some more decalithium and then deliver it and Spock to Vulcan. He bids farewell to his wife. She tells him that they are expecting a son, and he's going to be, grow up to be a miner just like his father. Sometime later, en route to the Kimbin system, Nero asks Spock about his intentions. Spock offers to mind meld with Nero to prove his beliefs. After a large swig of Romulan ale, Nero agrees. Uh, once they're melded, visions of his wife are too powerful, and Nero breaks the connection, not able to think about his wife there on Romulus. Sometime later, the mining operation on Kimden is about done. They have enough decalithium for the Vulcans to create red matter. 
Suddenly, three Riemann ships emerge from warp. The Riemanns beam a SWAT team aboard the bridge and hold the captain and Spock hostage. There is a scuffle, and it looks to be a standoff, with everyone pointing disruptors at one another. Then the tide turns when the Enterprise-E arrives and starts to fire on the Riemann ships. Spock says that that's not just any ship, and it's not just any captain, but it's a very old friend. With that, the view screen snaps on, and Captain Data requests that the Riemanns stop all hostilities at once. To be continued. An old friend indeed. You heard me right. Captain Data. Captain Data. Previously Captain B4. Or actually, he wasn't a captain then, but... <laughs> yes. Previously B4, now he's Data again. Exactly. So even older than Data. But Data's pretty damn old. Remember, his head was back in the 1800s. Oh. <laughs> You're right. Yes, exactly. If you want to pull that into it. Yeah, so Data's much older than before. Oh, well... Just because he went back in time doesn't mean he is older, necessarily. Chronologically speaking, he is older. He, his, his head has existed longer than before his head. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> you, you and your time things. But his body's still the same. His body's younger. I'll agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, could you just answer me whether those big black spikes on the drilling platform umbil- umbilical cl- cable really has any kind of function? Um, no, they just look cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They look cool, and I think it kind of, you know, it kind of says, okay, these guys are miners, but, you know, they're Romulans, and there's something, you know, threatening about them. So that's why they got these big, long, nasty-looking black spikes coming out of what is basically, uh, you know, it's a Cat 6 cable. It's a big Cat 6 cable. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I never really understood why they needed the big mining thing anyways. I mean, we've seen plenty of times when the Enterprise needed to drill something, they would just fire their phasers from orbit. So why do they need to dangle this large laser yeah. from the ship into the atmosphere and then start going from there? Uh, and again, I think the answer is the same. It looks cool. <laughs> And you need to have Kirk skydiving onto it later. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it makes it look like a like a a thorny rose or something with those spikes coming out of it like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure exactly how the whole mining process works other than drilling down with a laser. Um, other than that, I mean, how do they pull it back up again? Tra- uh, tractor beams or something? I don't know. But Well, on Deep Space Nine, when, when the Cardassians were mining on Bajor, they, mm-hmm. they would beam it up. Huh? Okay. So, so maybe, why, don't you, why don't you just beam it up? Well, maybe you have to drill down mm-hmm. to it, and then you can start beaming it up. But, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, well, I don't know. I didn't write it. <laughs> okay. So I just wondered about that. That's, that's all. I was also wondering about the EVAC shuttle. So the EVAC shuttle to go down and get the miners because they couldn't uh, do the transporter with the uh, interference that was being created by the Nova. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Nero ordered that that the shuttle goes and gets the people off the platform at warp speed. Wow. Yeah, I was wondering how how far away they were. (laughs) Exactly. Well, they're they're in the thin upper atmosphere, maybe into space, but you know, the, part of the trip is in is in the atmosphere of the plant of the planet. It's right. Like, 
Dude, you don't have to use a warp speed. Come on. Dude. Anyway. I think they're just using that word loosely. Yeah, they sure are. They are indeed. Um, yeah, so they, they, they warp down and they warp back up again. So. And docked with the, the ship before it took off. Right. And you think that if it had if it really had warp, then why wouldn't they just beam the miners off and then warp away themselves? Oh, don't even bother going back to the ship right away? Right. I agree. It'd be less complex that way. Just get away. Get the shuttle. Get them. Get away. Then rejoin the main ship later. Yep, I agree. Right. And so, as far as events go, they just lost their mining laser. And you would assume that it's probably the only one, because they kind of act like it's a big deal to lose it. Yeah. But, um, and then, they're not on Romulus very long before they're getting with Spock Go and going off again. to yep. mine again. Yep. So did they repair their mining laser? Did they get well, a new one? They, they, had to, they had to replace it. I mean, they couldn't repair it. Right. Because they had to detach it, they have time it, right? to replace it? Well, I guess they must have. While Spock's I mean, the, making the, jokes in the Senate, they were replacing right. it, maybe? I guess it's the same, uh, the same ability for them to uh, go at warp speed over very <laughs> short distances and not plow into the planet. Because the plot required that they do so? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I'll buy it. And, and, and lest you think we're all just being critical about this, because we do love these comics. <laughs> At that risk, I'm going to continue to be negative. So, Spock's joke, which I liked, friends, Romulans, countrymen, we had the same ears. Very cool. I, li- I, I liked it. I had a little chuckle myself, but I'm just like, okay, <laughs> he's telling Romulan senators this. Do Romulan senators have any idea about Rome? I mean, do they have any idea of the very uh, Earth-based references that makes that a good joke? Well, I mean, it's from Julius Caesar, I think Caesar, Julius right? Caesar, right. right. I think so. so. But you, you've never really truly enjoyed Julius Caesar until you've read it in uh, its uh, original In the original Romulus. Romulan? Yeah. <laughs> I think we're just supposed to go with that. If uh, if Shakespeare was also written in Klingon, uh, I would think that uh, it would also <coughs> be written in, in Romulus. On uh, Romulus maybe. with maybe. a Romulan Shakespeare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just... Yeah. Even if there was some reading uh, of the play, um, but it... I mean, there was. It seemed like there were a lot of a lot of the senators were uh, laughing at that. So. Oh yeah, it it, it went over like gangbusters, man. They loved exactly. It. They loved that. Well, man. the first if you were really a Romulan, the first thing you would <coughs> want to know is why is this civilization on Earth named after us, or <laughs> how did we get the same name? And yeah, that city. Coincidentally, that city. we have a twin sist- twin planet named Remus, and their mythology has. Romulus and Remus. Yeah, and they had centurions, and we've got centurions, and hey, wait a minute. It's like <laughs> exactly. we came from That's them. That's what I would be more concerned about if I was a Romulan. That's right. Good point, good point. And, you know, and then the Vulcans being named after a uh, a uh, Greek god themselves. A lot of funny business going on. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Weird. Uh, I, although, so I do have problems with the joke, but <laughs> I continue to like seeing Spock so loose in his old age, you know, that he's cracking jokes like that in what is potentially a very stress-filled political situation. 
Right, which we saw a lot of that in later Star Trek movies that he was... Yeah, he, he loosened up and stuff. Yep. Right. Ever since he came back from the dead, he was he's he really loosened up after that. <laughs> Guess death will do that to you. Exactly. Now I enjoyed that part. I I didn't do mention it in the synopsis, but I enjoyed that he does acknowledge that he's he lives openly now on Romulus. Uh, he's he's actually a citizen of Romulus now. He doesn't live in hiding like he did in the Star Trek Next Generation right. episodes. Uh, so, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of strides to bring Romulus and the Federation and Vulcan closer together over over the eight years since uh, she's on. Right. And and even though those strides have been made, we'll see exactly when the chips are down how the old fears uh, and rivalries uh, manifest themselves. Right. And they're not, I mean, they're kind of brought up there, too. In I mean, the... The leaders don't really give a lot of credit to Spock because they think, you know, he's a Vulcan. Right. He has another agenda. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we already see a little bit of that mistrust still there. Agreed. But we'll see later on that it's even more so and, and on both sides. On both sides, and then ultimately what the Vulcans decide to do is pretty telling. Yeah. Anyway, so let's not... St- do any spoilers, <clears throat> although that normally is my job. I do enjoy seeing uh, the wife. She's flushed out as a real character here, even though she doesn't have a lot of screen time. Right. But uh, more than just a little hologram that uh, Nero shows Captain Pike in Star Trek the movie. Right. Um, you know, yeah, from the movie you can get that he's obviously upset that he lost her, but here you can you really feel for it. it she was a real person, you know, they, they flushed her out. I like that. Yeah. A real person with brown? Brown hair? It could be dyed. It could be. <laughs> I'm just saying that a lot of... You see a lot of dark-haired uh, Romulans, as well as Vulcans. Right. But uh, she's got kind of, what, auburn? Brown hair? Yeah, brown, Dark brownish, brown? blonde, red. It depends on the page. <laughs> Well, blonde? Really? Okay. Uh, not really blonde. It's more of like an auburn type color, I would guess. Right. So, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, just continuing to bang that drum, uh, there's a Romulan senator on page 9 that asks, How can one star destroy an empire? <laughs> and it's like... Uh, Spock doesn't even try to explain it, and he just goes on to describe the solution. So it's like, okay, that's good, because it makes no sense. I'm sorry. I mean, they try to explain it later in the... Well, of course, they they did try to explain it in the movie. They do try in the series to explain a little bit later, but for the most part, Spock... They don't even... The writers don't even try to explain at this point just how they could neutralize it. So. All right. And that's my big beef with the... Uh the Star Trek movie. A lot yeah. of things in that Star Trek movie did not make sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. That's and cool. you just got to go with it. You, uh, as much as I like to make sure everything fits where it's supposed to, that movie and these books, they don't really fit together. Time is kind of... Time and space doesn't really matter anymore because 
it it did it needed to be done in the movie to make it faster. Like you said, it was a real fast movie. They couldn't be, you know. I guess they, a, yeah. They 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 took liberties just to keep things moving along. Yeah, with Delta Vega being well orbit of of well, okay. So so basically, my notes. I was I was listing off the big. <laughs> The three, the, the top, the big three uh, suspended disbelief pills, the writers were asking us to swallow, and you're listing them. Oh, for the for the movie? Yeah, for the movie and for these books, but really the overall narrative. All right. So what was the third one? Uh, okay. So one, the star is going over that can take out other galaxy. stars that are far distant, and even perhaps an entire galaxy. Right. It's like, that's ridiculous. There's too much space in between yep. all of these celestial uh, things. Uh, number two, um, uh, Delta Vega. So what was that? Was that, that was a moon? Or what the heck was that? Was that another planet that was that close to Vulcan? I don't know. Wherever they, that Nero put Spock, whatever that planetary thing right. was, to witness the, the destruction of Vulcan. And then number three, that uh, that Kirk ends up on that same moon slash planet, and he is an easy walking distance to not only Spock but also Scotty. All right, I can, I can buy the third one. Uh, what Scotty? The Scotty and the Spock and Kirk all being on the same planet. Well, uh, oh, oh, okay. Th- that okay. one is is the is is not as hard for me to swallow as those first two. I, okay. Well, yeah. But I have okay, a third yeah. one that you you didn't mention is the trans warp well, beaming. Well, yeah, we can we we can continue with the with the list. <laughs> I said there was three big ones, and I'm like, first two, hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you. But my third one would have to be the transwarp beaming because that that's like your ultimate trump card. Well, okay, hold on. If Gary Seven can do it, <laughs> why can't um, why can't the properly why can't eventually Federation science? Now, now, mind you, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate right, because right. I know it's ridiculous. But I'm just saying. Yeah, I don't like that Gary Seven could do it either. <laughs> okay, okay. But but hold on a second. All we're talking about here is just more power, right? Instead of a V8, they got a they got a V eight hundred and forty-two. I mean, it's just power. Just pump more power in that transporter beam. Mm, Look that's out. the way Gary Seven did it. I don't think that's how Scotty was. Scotty did it, <laughs> but the equations. <laughs> anyway, anyways, yeah. So I loved it. Loved it all. You know, it's just you know, right? They just ask you to swallow certain things. No, you really love the payoff at the end. Just go with it, okay? And I did. So there you go. All right. On this issue, I enjoyed seeing the Remans. I thought it was cool that they were agreed. Showed up at, at all, Agreed. and were kind of a bad guy. Yep, um, kind of. Well, I mean, but they were they were the bad guy of this issue. There was yep. nobody aside from the supernova. There was no villain in this issue except for them. Right. And then um, my last comment was the uniform that Data's wearing. Um, it's it's very in style of the Star Trek Online game, which was coming out the same time. Oh, oh, very interesting. Right, which I I like. It's it's. It's similar to the uniform of the series, where it's red on top, black on the bottom, uh, but it's stylized a little differently. 
and the pips are no longer on the collar but on the the chest itself exactly exactly yeah but, so yeah so so you're basically taking my last comment of the uh, of the issue oh sorry yeah no that that's fine i mean we're we're all hit the same we're 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 oddly enough more or less of the same mind on on many of these points right so i really like the costume i really like this uniform. uniform i liked it in the game but my one beef with this you have a a whole page is dedicated to the big reveal captain data yes and there's a huge glaring mistake do you see it ah uh, what four pips what no what? no the insignia on his chest is backwards oh a, good lord it is backwards oh oh my god so why would they make such a a, a mistake <laughs> excuse me sir don't you realize? Come oh. on. I mean, you're going to have a big full-page hero <sighs> shot of your of the costume for the first time, uh-huh. of Data, and you're going to flip the insignia? Uh-huh. It's just not right, man. Something's <sighs> wrong. You need to get another hobby. <laughs> it just bothers me, man. No, that's, that's fine. No, I didn't even notice it. And I do love that uniform. I think I it's great. Too. It looks really cool in the game because it has texture and stuff. Right. It has kind of like the, kind of like the way the the Star Trek movie had their uniforms had that pattern type look to it. Yeah, which they basically have the swoosh, you know, the right, the right, right, combat swoosh. But like, but it kind of gives it that pebbly look, like like Spider Man right. and Superman Returns uniforms. Right. Um. So in the game, they're wearing this uniform, except it has that kind of texture. Cool. You can play that game for free now, so uh, I highly recommend just giving it a look. I will uh, try to do that once I have some time. And then my last comment, which you might have for the next issue, but they do show it here, is how advanced the control panels of the Enterprise E has gotten in the last eight years. Well, it's on. they got a lot of glass. Well, not glass, but now it's all holographic stuff kind of being projected no. above the consoles. Yeah, I know. Well, okay. So, they look. that looks like glass to me. So, you're saying it's a hologram, so there's no physical glass there, or no clear thing that's projecting on top of it. It's completely, not only a visual hologram, but they can interact with it and press buttons on it. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, cool. I did not take it that way. So you thought it was like a pane of glass? That was I, yes, that's up? exactly what I took it as. Mm. Which is more the same kind of stuff as they have in the 2009 movie. Right, on the which, original Enterprise. Yeah, which is, you know, you know, in the past. So it's like, <laughs> you know. I, I thought it was cool that they showed new things on the Enterprise E bridge. That was cool, and I liked the, the, the new uniforms. It's just, yeah. I, I I didn't take that as a uh, as an interactive hologram. Mm. Although that does kind of make sense. Yeah, uh, I'll have to look at the later issue to see if there's another example. But I always took oh, it as there are other examples. It just looks like glass to me. All right. Well, we'll talk about it later. Cool. Maybe. Sounds good. All right. So that's my last comment for issue number one. Okay. So I will continue on with uh, issue number two. Number two in the countdown. And this is uh, published date February 2009. The creative team is mostly the same. Um, The uh, color art 
is, uh, again, Giovanni Nero is the only one involved there. But he only has credit. He's the only one with credit for color art, per se. Uh, color consultant, though, we have a color consultant on this issue, uh, Ilara Traver- Traversi. Traversi. She is the color consultant. At least I assume that's a her. That could be a guy. Sorry if that's a, a guy. Um, letterer on this one is Neil uh, Yukitaki, and the editor and creative consultant is the same. The cover is a relatively simple affair that, again, is split in two by a white and gray diagonal line. Um, to the left of the line is a close-up of Data looking over his shoulder and frowning. To the right of the line is a black background with white lettering telling us this comic is the official prequel to the upcoming, quote, upcoming motion picture Star Trek. It also tells us this is countdown number two. An unidentified narrator tells us the star date and where we are, deep in Romulan territory, where few have gone before. A full-page panel presents a standoff between the Narada, Nero's mining ship, the Enterprise, and two of the three Riemann ships that we know are in the area from the previous issue. On the bridge of the Enterprise, a lieutenant informs Data that they have located the Federation ID beacon on the mining ship. Data does not choose to beam the person with the beacon off the ship at this time. Data does decide to beam away the charged weapons that are in the proximity of that Federation ID beacon. Disarmed, the two boarding party Remans on the bridge of the Narada are knocked unconscious by Nero and his crew. Data and two other crewmen beam to the Narada bridge. Nero is not happy about more uninvited guests on his ship, but gets over it. Introductions are made, and they get down to business. Ayel gives Nero a status report. Communications are offline. Decalithium load is only 78% of target, and the plasma power conduit is completely destroyed, which means no more drilling. Data informs them the ship's sensors have detected large amounts of decalithium in the Riemann ship holes. They decide to confiscate it. Captain Data lends some engineers to aid with repairing the Narada. When complete, the Enterprise escorts the Narada to Vulcan. On the trip, Nero is invited to the Enterprise for a tour and dinner as a show of goodwill. The Romulans still do not trust the Federation captain, and even trust of Spock has its limits. When Nero retires to his quarters aboard the Enterprise, he tries to mine the ship's databanks for all he can get. Access is denied to most sensitive current information, but he finds historical information is open to him. He reads about James Tiberius Kirk. While Nero is playing spy, Spock joins Captain Data in his quarters. Spock asks Data about his resurrection since they both share somewhat of a common experience. Data explains how the neural net backup was finally successfully imprinted onto B4's body. Data moves on to say Starfleet has authorized him to undertake a covert mission to the Hoba system to prevent the star from going nova. Spock is unhappy with the complications of the Enterprise undertaking a a covert mission in Romulan space. 
Meanwhile, on Romulus, the Imperial Science Council is meeting in a huge star mapping room, suspiciously like the one on the Enterprise-E in the movie Generations. They discuss how the Hobus star is growing in mass and instability. They conclude that Spock was right and observe that Spock is no longer on Romulus. They do not trust Spock to return with a solution in time to stop the destruction of Romulus, so they plot to attack Vulcan and take the probe that will stop the deadly Nova. They say they will put plans of the Vulcan attack to a Senate vote. In the meantime, they will begin evacuation protocols of the home world. At Vulcan, the Enterprise and Narada are being hailed by the Vulcan security forces. The first Vulcan official says the Enterprise is welcome, but the Narada has to get out of Vulcan space. After Captain Data lodges his objections, a second official informs the first that they are all cleared to beam down by the High Command. Spock, Data, and Nero beam down and receive a lukewarm welcome from a Praetor and four guards armed with lerpas. He matter-of-factly tells Spock that since Spock decided to turn his back on Vulcan and live amongst their greatest enemy for decades, his name is tarnished and is no longer trusted by the people, not only the Senate. Into the charged room, Ambassador Picard enters. He calls off the Praetor, M. Khan, and greets Spock and the others. It was Admiral Picard and the Federation's intervention that overcame Vulcan's knee-jerk resistance to Spock and his plan to help the Romulans. They walk to a meeting room of the Science Council that Picard has arranged. In the Science Council chambers, discussion progresses until until finally the High Counselor and Spock get down to brass tacks. The Counselor does not want to give Romulans knowledge of the red matter manipulation because of how a militaristic culture like the Romulans would quite possibly misuse it. Spock acknowledges that is the question. Will the Vulcan people cling to their old prejudices and fears, or will they put them aside and honor the better side of their nature, and in the process save the Romulans and quite possibly billions of others? The council recesses to make their final decision. Unfortunately, that decision turns out to be that they cannot risk sharing the secret of red matter with the Romulans. Nero explodes and says they have been wasting their time. They should have never trusted the Vulcan leaders to help. Nero says they should have taken what they needed. Picard and Spock says it is not that simple. In the end, Nero says he is leaving immediately for Romulus to get his family. Spock talks Nero into leaving the Decalithium with him and Picard. They will do what they can to proceed with the plan, even without the aid of the Council. Nero states very plainly that he will leave the Decalithium with Spock, but if Romulus dies, Nero will hold the Vulcan people responsible. Later, in an outside patio on Vulcan, Picard and Spock are discussing next steps. As Spock reaffirms his commitment to the plan to help the Romulans no matter what, Data contacts them. Starfleet reports the Hobus star has gone Nova. Meanwhile, the Narada arrives in Romulan space. They make their way to Romulus. As they make their way to Romulus, Nero thinks about the last words between he and his pregnant wife and the fact that he is too late to save her, the baby, and his world.
Nero and his crew witnesses the wave of destruction that is the Hobus Nova engulf and destroy Romulus. To be continued. Yeah, nobody cares that Remus also got blown up. Now, okay, so is Remus in the same is actually in the same solar system? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So so we really just wanted the Remans around for a little bit of um a bad guy thing in the first issue, and now eh history. <laughs> Who cares? Right. Good point. Yeah, all those poor Remans. Oh, they're ugly. They look like bats. Yeah, I highly recommend people to read the um, the the. It was a, a trilogy of books um, that dealt with. It's called Vulcan Heart, Vulcan. Soul. Oh, that's not right. Vulcan Soul. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what the other ones are, but basically, it's it's set after Nemesis, where Spock finds some some old documentation that. That gives detail on the on w- right. the Vulcans that left Vulcan to Romulus and Remus. Yeah, is this some kind of device he puts on his head or something? Exactly. Or? Yeah, right. and it kind of lets him relive <clears throat> some of uh, their leaders' thoughts and and it's basically a a diary. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it's actually pretty cool. It, it, if uh, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend you to do so because it it. It kind of turns the the Romulan Vulcan idea kind of on its head that that maybe what we thought we knew we didn't know without without ruining what what you already know it just adds to it it's really good right. and i I listened to the first audiobook okay. and um I, I didn't get to the to the other ones, so the biggest thing about me on that first one is things were really bad. On Vulcan? On Vulcan before they left. Uh, oh, yeah. Or at least a group left. Uh, yep. and I mean, really bad. I mean, you just don't realize how bad uh, <laughs> with the emotions and everything and uh, Civil War and whatever. So um, they were really... Uh, the, uh, the the folks that went out, the Vulcans that went out on the on the ships, really took a chance. And they might not have made it, so... Right. And, and actually, the, the 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 book I was reading ended where they were had begun their trip. Right, right. They so, had the first one. Right. Yeah, and it was really interesting because you always think that Surak, you know, the 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 bringer of logic yep. to Vulcan, yep. uh, you know, the people that left Vulcan were his people. You know, he stayed on Vulcan, but his people were basically exiled from Vulcan for following this this logic. So it's like. That right there was just like what the Romulans are actually descendants of, are actually true descendants of of Surak, not the other way around. Because I always thought that it was the the warrior race was kind of exiled from Vulcan when Surak's uh, uh, logic teachings took over. So I just I really liked how it kind of turned everything on its head with, without ruining it. It was it was I really liked that book. Right. Anyways, but that's not what we're talking about here, are we? No. We're talking about issue number two. Countdown. Right. So, this is just a, a comical thing. Why is it not issue number three? If it's countdown, then we should have started with four, three, <laughs> two, one, movie. Yes, that is comical. <laughs> but anyways, I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, when Spock and Data have their little, how do, how's it like to be coming back from the dead scene? Right. That's that shows the what I thought was the holographic panels above Data's desk. R- really well, I think. If you want to go back and look, I can't tell you what page it is because uh, I'm looking at the graphic novel. Okay, I'm looking. So see how, depending on where the camera is, the the image sometimes looks like it's above the table, and then another time it looks like it's a little further away the from the table. Uh huh. So I, I, that's where I'm saying I don't see a, a pane of glass there. It looks like it's just floating. Okay. That could be. Which, if this is only eight years in the future from Star Trek Nemesis, I don't buy that that things would would change that drastically. Right. Because let's be honest, they didn't change that drastically from the Enterprise A to the Enterprise D. Right, and if you look at the pages before, just before page, so it's in the comic, it's page 8, that's inside of Data's office. And then page 7, the one before, which shows um, Nero doing his clandestine checking of uh, of the Enterprise data banks. Uh, he's using uh, a terminal that looks a little bit more like what you would have seen in, in Picard's ready room. Ready room, right, yeah. One of those so, laptop-looking things. Of course, it does have an interesting projected... It looks like a holographic 3D image coming out of it of of Kirk's head. And I mean William Shatner Kirk. William Shatner Kirk. Which is an interesting point I wanted to make also. So this is a bit of a segue. But uh, it, I think it is kind of interesting that they seem to be using different pieces of technology in different rooms uh, to serve what appears to be some of the same purposes. Right. Yeah, because later on when Data informs them that the star had gone Nova, he's also a hologram there. And right. he's kind of being yeah. projected right. above this like floating orb thing that's like in the middle of Picard's room. Right. So I thought it was pretty cool that they had Kirk's head there. As and opposed I like that to it was Shatner's, young Shatner. Exactly right. Yeah, Shatner as opposed to Chris Pine. So I thought that was good. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it is funny how <laughs> the differences in the timeline would make uh, Kirk look so different, but eh, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> I'm going with it. Well, Spock recognized him as the same person, so I don't know what you're talking about, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, so can, I, I, can I mention something on that same page? Sure, sure. Um, on that same page that it shows holographic Shatner, um, you're not you're not going to say memory alpha, are you? Oh yeah, it does say something about memory alpha, doesn't it? But that, <laughs> that's not what I was going to say. Oh, okay, sorry. Now, well, I'm going to say like, memory alpha. I like when that Data's done. singing in the top panel on that page. Maybe singing some blue sky or something. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. Now, where was that memory alpha? Um, there's a list of different oh, yeah. things where access is de- de- as denied. Hobus system, red matter, decalithium, memory alpha. That's cool. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, throw a little plug in there, you know, for the database. Folks, that's good. I like that. That's a great site. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, I agree with you on that one. I, yeah. I go there a lot. I yeah. do exactly what Nero's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the same topic, topics, too, you know. Red I just think it's funny that, that wh- why would he brush up on old Enterprise mission logs? 
Because then it makes more sense when he meets Kirk later, of course. Come on. <laughs> that's the only explanation. That's, that's the only reason, exactly. So I got one night to work on this computer on whatever I want to look up. I'm going to go pick, ah, just, what's the history of this ship? Yeah. <laughs> or its namesake. Uh, right. Federation did he, history. Did he start with Archer? No. He goes, he goes for Kirk. And as we find out later, he also has done some research on other members of the next-gen crew. Right. So he was a busy boy. <laughs> he was a very busy boy this evening. So they mention a covert operation to the Romulan or the the Hubis star. Right. Is that ever brought back up, or is that just like a dangling, you know, plot point where Spock says, "Oh, I wish they wouldn't have done that." Okay, they didn't because we don't ever hear about it again. Well. Uh. Well, wasn't that entire intention to do to basically do Spock's mission? Uh, I mean, it turns into Spock's mission using the red matter and stuff. But okay. um, Did they say they, I thought they said they already went. They already sent a, a, a team to. Hmm. No, I th- I thought that was Data saying that he was giving au- given authorization from Starfleet. Oh, okay, okay. You know, he and the Enterprise E. Well, it said that they were. To, to drill directly into the star to prevent it from going nova. Whoa. Okay, so I guess... He said that? Okay. Yeah, he says, The Federation has authorized a covert operation to the Hubis system right. to drill directly into the star to prevent it from going nova. Oh, wait. Yeah, okay. Which to me, implied I, that it was a different group. I didn't remember the, the drilling part, but I did remember the part... Okay, that, that they're supposed to be going to see what they can do about stopping it from going nova. Right, which didn't sound like yeah. it was his mission oh. with the Red Manor. I mean, obviously, it didn't succeed because it went supernova. But uh, oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting. A... I, I I took that as the mission that they were going to be doing. But uh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, so I, that's a I, different I that's a different right. mission. Hmm. Okay, that's the way I took it. Right. Well, that would that would explain um, how Starfleet knew it went nova. It's seemingly before anybody else. Right. Possibly. Yes. I thought it was interesting how Picard became an ambassador rather than an admiral. I don't know. I like that. And I like that he was on on Vulcan. Yeah. Well, I like it too. I just I'm just pointing out I think it's interesting. You know, right. most captains and Starfleet become admirals. Even doctors become admirals. Everybody becomes becomes an admiral. Um but interesting how Picard, uh who's who more so than Kirk, uh, and, and maybe any of the other captains, definitely had a lot of diplomatic missions. Right. And proved that he was pretty damn good at it. So that was very interesting how he became, uh, in the long run, uh, an ambassador that he chose to take that path, either, as opposed to the other half of his personality, uh, you know, a, a higher-ranking military guy. Right. Yeah, it doesn't say that he's married or anything. He's just he's just there. But right, uh, I do. I I, li- I really like that too. I like yeah. that they gave him a different job title, one that was more fitting to what I think Picard would have been doing in his old age. Right. 
It's either being an ambassador or, or go plant grapes somewhere. Uh, or archaeologist. <laughs> yeah, archaeologist, I could see. He, he did like his archaeology. He loves his hobby. Yeah. All right, so my last comment for this issue is when the Enterprise and the Narada show up on Vulcan, it has this shot of the of the planet, and it shows maybe clouds or just the surface of the planet. I don't know how much clouds and that Vulcan has, but... Yeah, not much. In in the pattern of the planet, it, it looks like there's an initials or something, and they're repeated twice in the exact same... Oh, oh really? It's the exact same pattern, two different places on the planet. Huh. Fascinating. I'm trying to get to that page. Yeah, so when you get there, um, like right underneath one of the pylons or the nacelles of the Narada, it looks like it's three straight lines and then a C. Ick. And then also also below the Narada, next to that word balloon that says a Romulan ship, it's the exact same pattern. Yeah, I see that. That's very interesting. So I was trying to think, I mean, is it supposed to be a V? Is it supposed to be V-I-C? Or is it supposed to be 3-C? I don't know. I don't know either, but that's uh, interesting you picked up that pattern. Yeah, it just seemed odd that it was on there two times. Right, and it does indeed look like a cloud pattern as opposed to a surface pattern, but who knows. Right. It was just weird. Yeah. I don't know if there was supposed to be some sort of hidden message there. I don't know. Or was like it supposed little, to be some sort like of... a little Easter egg or something? Yeah, some sort of structure or something. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm, sure I, I'm, 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 you know, You're I'm grasping there. I'm grasping. <sighs> Everything must make sense. Everything. And I will find what sense it makes. <laughs> uh, that was my last comment for two... My my last comment for two is just I thought it was very interesting how the traditionally good guy Vulcans, except for the early days in in Enterprise. Enterprise. Um they're really the bad guys in here. I mean, they they through their inaction, even though they're protecting themselves, uh they think. And to some degree maybe. Um they they they, they chose to let an entire planet die. I mean, they well, did that. Right. Which is like, whoa! I mean, you may not be crazy about the Romulans, but, I mean, all those people. And then not to mention the Remus, although you did earlier. Um, and then who knows after that? And, but I'm sure they always intended to use Red... I mean, couldn't they have... I mean, really, couldn't they have done the Red Matter thing without... I mean, they would know red matter exists, but would they would they really be giving up the secret of red matter? I mean, the fact that it exists, yes, but how do you make it? Well, right. I guess they'd figure out from decalithium, but you know, I mean, how much more would they know than that? True. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But, but if they didn't do that, then you know, we'd have no reason to have a, a psychopath Nero. So I guess it had to happen. Yeah. And and we're about to get into that. Exactly. I got one more thing. All right. I thought it was cool that Bad Robot turned up on page 22. Really? And I liked seeing the Enterprise D there also. But when I saw Bad Robot in there, I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. He's like at a little console. 
Yeah, it's like he's playing piano for him or something. I don't know. <laughs> little, just playing a little soothing music for you while you guys talk, you big brain guys over there. Yeah, I didn't even recognize. I didn't even notice it. That's funny. yeah. Yeah, he's a little red guy off yeah, on the right. So he's like right behind Picard. Right on the floor playing something, doing yeah, it something. Like a, a little tiny accordion or a tiny organ or something. <sighs> he's like a hurdy gurdy monkey. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right, shall we? Let's do that. All right, so issue number three, its cover has a picture of Picard in yellow. And we haven't mentioned it, but the four covers can be placed together to kind of form the Star Trek swoosh. So Nero would be in the top left. The That was issue one. Issue two is Data is in the right, top right, and then Picard would be below him. And, uh, the, and he kind of gets the little angle of the swoosh. So, well, if you see the picture, you'll see what I'm talking about. And then the cover, uh, the uh, special incentive uh, photo cover is a yellow picture of Chris Pine. And we didn't mention it, but issue two was a red picture of Ahura. So, all right. So the uh, this issue came out March of 2009. Uh, all the creative staff was the same except letterers was Robert Robbins. And the editor for this issue is Scott Dunbar, or Dunbeer. Starts off with Romulus being declared dead. And the crew of the Narada have now shaved their heads and are being tattooed. And as Nero is going through this, he thinks back just recently, back when the Narada made it to the Romulan system, and to see the rubble that had once been the twin planets of Romulus and Remus. Uh, while they're just entering the system, a Federation medical convoy soon arrives to offer assistance. Nero sees a conspiracy as to why the Federation would be here so soon after the destruction of Romulus. He goes ahead and requests assistance from the three ships. When all four ships are in close proximity, the uh, Federation ships lower their shields, and when they do so, he beams over explosive charges into each of the medical frigates, which then detonate and destroy them. As the Narada continues to move through the devastated star system, they receive a hail from the ruling council who are aboard a small shuttle. Nero allows them to beam aboard his larger vessel. Nero accuses the Praetor and the others for not heeding his and Spock's warnings. When the Praetor starts to justify his actions, Nero yanks the ceremonial spear from the leader's hand and rams it into his chest. The remaining council members can do nothing except watch in stunned silence and await their turn. Back to the present time where Nero's finishing up his tattoo, uh, he stands up and he's thinking about how the tattoo process on Romulan is a custom for the grieving process. Uh, the normal practice is to use an ink that would fade over time that would symbolize the fading uh, of your feelings of loss. However, the crew of the Narada are using permanent ink so that they will never forget. On Vulcan in the chambers of the High Council, Bach and Picard inform the counselors that a ship called the Jellyfish will soon arrive, and that its design will allow the pilot to get close enough to the supernova to 
deposit the red matter. A counselor asks Spock how he knows this will work. Spock then quotes Kirk by saying, I'm going with my gut. Deep in Romulan space, the Narada has arrived at the coordinates of a place called The Vault. Nero is, was able to get the location and the landing codes from the other high counselors uh, that they picked up earlier. Several of the crew are worried that they have been misled since there is nothing at this location and that nothing is answering their broadcast. Suddenly, they are contacted by a Romulan male. Nero spins a tale on how he saved the Praetor, but the Praetor died due to some injuries he uh, received during his escape. He also explains that he was given the spear from the Praetor himself. This story seems plausible because a massive space station then decloaks. The Narada is invited to dock, and when they do so, they are greeted by a woman commander who welcomes them to the vault. Nero is given a private tour of the vault, and the commander offers him a chance to modify the Narada with some Romulan-modified Borg technology. So it shows Nero standing before these huge tentacle-like appendages that uh, will soon be grafted to his simple mining vessel. Back in the Vulcan lab, the group is inspecting a large tube of red matter. Data explains to Geordi that even the smallest amount would create a black hole. Back at the vault, the Narada has been affixed with the Borg tentacles. Nero orders the ship to soon depart. Their destination? Vulcan, to get their revenge. Standing in front of the jellyfish, Geordi explains to Data how the modifications to the jellyfish are now complete, and that voice recognition has been added so that only Spock may be able to pilot it. We flash to Picard's quarters. Spock and Picard are talking about what little is known of the events of Nero since he left Vulcan. They suspect that he's responsible for the death of the Praetor who was found floating in space. They also fear that he might be responsible for the destruction of several ships that have been arriving to the Romulus homeworld uh, to, to offer assistance. They also discuss that Spock will be the one piloting the jellyfish and he says that he may have reached the end of his adventures. In deep space, the Narada has just destroyed another Federation starship. It is making preparations for its final warp to Vulcan. Before they can depart, over a dozen Klingon warbirds decloak around the Narada. They are hailed by General Worf, who demands that they surrender their ship, or they will die with it. To be continued. I love how they introduce characters, old friends, often at the end of the issues. Right. Now, of course, if you're reading the graphic novel, it's not the end of the issues, but still, you get the idea. Yeah, it, Picard's the only one they introduce, like, in the middle of an issue. Right. Which, you know, he's, he's, pretty, he's a pretty big reveal. He, he is. So, uh, Jordy? Well, he's... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, Jordy was revealed at the end of issue two. No, Jordy no. was revealed in the middle of this issue. Right. That's my point. Yeah. So Picard so, isn't the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, and I didn't say that they're all just being introduced at the end. I'm just saying yeah, right. how they're introducing some of them at the end, usually, you know, for a big right. dramatic effect. And these big hero shots where they take exactly. up the whole page. Exactly. 
So Worf is obviously no longer with the Federation, and he's now a general within the Klingon Empire. Very interesting. I mean, he was Grand Chancellor for a little while. <sighs> yes, he's gone back and forth. Right. With his yeah, because uh, at the end of at the end of Deep Space Nine, it's established that he's going to be an ambassador for Kronos. But then in the Star Trek Next Generation movies, he keeps showing up in a Star Trek or in a Federation uniform. Yeah, well, they needed him to be there. Yeah, and they didn't need to. They didn't want to explain. Oh yeah, for everybody who watched that last episode of Deep Space Nine, the movies movies were notorious for. Messing with the continuity. Yeah, but... Because they had know. to write it for somebody who had never seen a single episode. Yeah. But that whole thing was kind of strained. It's like, you know, Worf happens to be attacking the the Borg cube also. The Enterprise ends up saving the Defiant. Yeah, well, that they, one's the only one know. that made sense. But I don't but, think it made sense. Oh, oh, Worf, yeah, you take, take your old job back. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, you, no, 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 you, no, no. Fred, It made sense why the Defiant was there. Well, everybody was at that party. Right. But I'm just saying, it just happened to be the Enterprise saving it. Right. It just happened to be the Enterprise saving the Defiant survivors. And, oh, yeah, and Worf, was, hey, yeah, yeah. And it was no main character except Worf. It was like, where's Dax, Cisco, anybody sure. else that would be on that ship? Well, they didn't need them. <laughs> they just need to get Worf back in the story. Right, but but insurrection and nemesis. I mean, nemesis. Okay, the wedding that would have brought him there, but why would he still be in a Federation uniform? Yeah. But insurrection was by far the worst explanation, and they didn't even try. It was just like Picard turned the corner. Oh, Worf, you're here. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. Good to have you. All right, let's let's move on. <laughs> let's move on with the story because we got to have you around for later when we're running around on the planet. Surface. Right. Okay. Yeah, and that, and I understand when Worf oversleeps, and Picard gives him a hard time about not showing up to his duty on time. I'm like, he's, it's not even his ship. He's on shore leave or whatever. What are you busting his balls about? <laughs> Can I say that on a family friendly podcast? I think that's that's fine. Okay. As long as you didn't say testicles. Oops. <laughs> Anyways, I I enjoyed this issue as well. Yes, it was good. I especially like the end when Worf shows up with his flotilla of uh, Klingon ships. Love it. Right. And uh, Klingon ships seem to keep getting their asses or butts kicked by uh, by Nero in multiple time periods. Well, Nero takes out any ship, but yeah, there will be exactly. a parallel in later. That Ohura... Reports. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, or near, well, not the beginning, but you know. Right, right. At the Academy days. Yeah, so With that's the what... Green Orion Girl. Ooh, Green Orion Girl. Anyway. So that's the Narada. Well, we'll get to that later. Next issue, next episode. Exactly. So hold that thought. I'm talking to myself. So, yeah, I like how they explain the jellyfish. We saw it in the movie. Here yep. it is explained that it's actually Geordi's ship. Exactly. That he's retired from Starfleet and he's just tinkering around on ships, which was just pretty cool. I think it's very cool also. So good good they had a good way of writing him in without saying, Oh, Geordi stayed on the Enterprise forever also. <laughs> I mean that, that that's cool 
Picard moved on. Data became captain. You know, Geordi didn't hang around forever. Okay, good. All right. And of course, yeah. you assume that Riker and Deanna are out tightening or something. Right. And Crusher has her own ship now, you think? Oh. The Pasteur. It, it, wasn't that one of the alternate futures or something? Yeah, but wasn't it also kind of mentioned at the end of Nemesis that she yeah. was leaving? I, I know that some of the expanded universe after Nemesis brings her back in because she and Picard become romantically entwined. But... Oh, entwined. Mm. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember. But, but I, I do enough... remember she was leaving. Yeah. And I thought it was the captain her own ship. I thought they actually said that. Well, that would make sense. Because they were setting her up for that towards the end of the series where, you know, she was actually taking over the ship. Right, right. At times. But I definitely know that there was some set of circumstances where Dr. Crusher was in command and she had to use some shield technology to hide out in the coronasphere of a sun or something. Anyway, I forgot what it was. But well, That sounds plausible. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't they just... Yeah. I, I know what episode you're talking about, but that just brings up... Why couldn't they just do that to the Enterprise-E instead of using this jellyfish? If, if the Enterprise yeah. could... Yeah, go just go in sun. that way. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot... Yeah, you know, don't get me started. <laughs> Especially in this one where they're talking about the Hobus Nova expanding and it's growing ever stronger as it goes. So... It's like, and they're saying it could reach every, I mean, they're saying it could reach Earth, and you need to have a singularity to suck it all back in again. I mean, it's like, if it's spreading out far enough to engulf Vulcan, and even Earth eventually, it's like, jeez. I mean, the, the, the source of the Nova would have to be thousands of light years away, right? You know, from the outer edge that's destroying everything? No, it makes no sense. And, and then, and then you're going to have a singularity. First, first off, you got to go into the middle. So you got to fly through all this, <laughs> for and then go dozens, hundreds, thousands of light years to get to the middle. And then that singularity in the middle is going to suck in the outer everything, including the outer edge of the. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm singing of the choir right now. But. And that actually brings me to. I want to change my number three uh, bitter pill to swallow on <laughs> Star Trek the movie. And that's when the red matter destroys the Narada and the Enterprise had to escape it. That didn't make sense. That this, this red matter would create a singularity big enough to engulf this super, super galaxy wide Nova. Right. But the Enterprise can escape it by just dropping its warp. By dropping its uh, warp, warp core. And then exploding them? Yeah. yeah. No, no, it didn't make sense. Yeah. And then, didn't the Rada go through a singularity twice? In well, one case, yeah. they were thrown back into the past. In the other case, they were destroyed. It's or like, so well, they think. Well, bum, bum, bum. Well, okay, so they were letting them have it with phasers and photon torpedoes the second time. Right and, right, and and smashing them up and everything, but hmm. So what you're saying is that they might have gotten, <laughs> they might have been transported even further into the past, but because the Enterprise was blasting the hell out of, the heck out of it, that even if it came out the other side, it would be all smashed and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. You're not, you're supposed to just assume they're dead, but well, that's what I did. 
I pretty much assume that. Well, let's but just it, mean, but but yeah, you brought up a good point. What what's to say they're not showing up somewhere else and they're going to yeah, fight Archer like or, in 1886 or something? <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, they uh. go and kill all the humpback whales. <laughs> Damn them! Yeah, he shows up in uh, 1986, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I remember. I read in the in the mission logs that." The Enterprise came back at this time. If I kill Kirk now <laughs> and Spock, I can then uh, prevent Romulus from being destroyed. Or maybe when it remade itself, it remade itself into a big, stupid-looking cylinder with a ball underneath it and a beam in between the cylinder and the ball. And <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. It, it's the probe. It's the probe. It is the probe. Who knows? All right. <laughs> Let's just go with it. They're dead. Yeah. Uh, I really love, just just, just being more positive, I, I, I love the art in these comics. Yeah, it's very good. It's it's really good. And, and there's multiple places that I really like it, but I really like the close-up of Data's face on page 14, which doesn't make any sense to you since you've got the, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the full 14. comic. What, what's going on in that page? The bottom line is it's a really good shot of Data, and, and they took their time with it. It's the really extreme close-up of Data, where you can't even see all of his face because you've only mm-hmm. got the very middle of it, and and it's right above right, the 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 panel right above where Jordy's holding on to the red matter containment yep. thing. Yeah, I mean he looked very human in that. Yeah, I mean he doesn't really seem to have the gold face, so at least the coloring in here of Beta is a lot more uh, uh, Caucasian. Right, and Jordy looks really good there as he's holding the uh, the the red matter containment. Yeah, with a little little gray in his goatee, but aside exactly. from that, he's aging very well. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> right. So go my little nitpick as far as Geordi being there is that we've, we've seen an episode of Star Trek Voyager where it showed eight years in the future or whatever, and Geordi was captain of a uh, galaxy-class starship. So did that future not happen, or... Or what? Continuity details. Details! Never let that get in the way of a good time. Yeah, so... In, in, that, in that future, that eight years in the future, it was saying that the Voyager was destroyed, and then they went back in time and prevented it from getting destroyed. But I don't see how the Voyager being destroyed or not being destroyed would have prevented... would have affected Geordi's career path. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's just it's just uh, my nitpick. That's fine, but it's exactly because of those kind of nitpicks that JJ and the guys came up with this whole let's go back in time and reset the clock, you know, reset things for Kirk and Spock and the kids. Right. Yep. Which anything I like. Could be anything could be different now. Yeah, up could be down. <laughs> yes, exactly. Klingons could have bumps on their heads all the time. Yeah! Yay! <laughs> Alright, what else do you got on issue number three? I thought it was pretty cool that you found out so much about the uh, De Bruyne Tural in Because when uh, when Nero used it to kill Captain Rubah in the movie... Oh, 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 the, the staff. Exactly, the staff of power. The talisman. Right, um, right. I, you know, it, it's like, I didn't know what meaning there was behind that thing. I just thought it just happened to be some cool little weapon he likes to use. Right. Yeah, no, no, there's I a did lot like more, that. That is the, uh, the Praetor staff. Right. But uh, Shizan never had it, did he? So it, it couldn't be that old. 
maybe Shizan was, you know, he was just going for his own thing. Being his own man. Well, actually, he's a Picard clone. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, you get the idea. You mean yeah. he's Bane? Uh, he is Bane. He is Bane. And I heard Only he's going to be he's Mad Max, out. too. So I guess he's just going to... Oh, that's right. He is going to be... So, was it? Is it George Miller that does the Mad Max ones? Uh, the, I don't so, know. So he's finally going back and doing... Uh, is this the fifth one? Or is it the fourth, fourth one? Fourth, fourth. one? Yeah, and he's going to use... The last one. And, and I think that is very good uh, casting. I but think that, he's going to... That a man who looks just like Patrick Stewart, <laughs> so <laughs> identical to Patrick Stewart, can also play... <laughs> well, it, it underscores the fact that he didn't look that terribly much like Patrick Stewart. He didn't look anything like Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Well, hey, wait a minute. They shaved his head, okay? <laughs> and, well, there you go. <laughs> and I loved it when, when Patrick Stewart's looking at the, his old photos and sees a picture of of him, she's on, styled oh, him. As himself. And he asks Beverly, you remember this guy? She... Yeah, you were, we were so young then. Uh huh. Yeah. Maloney, that's not you. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, we've seen pictures of you when you were that young, and, and you, you had, had hair. hair. Exactly. Exactly. But again, we got to write the movie for somebody who had never seen Star Trek. Exactly, because we're hoping some of those people will come. Of course, they didn't, and that's why we never had another one. But that's okay. <laughs> Anyways. Um, we're jumping on a lot of soapboxes this episode. We are, even though we love these issues. <laughs> well, actually, all of our criticism is not just about these issues. No, a lot of it's about the continuity that brought us to these issues. Exactly. One thing cool about this is when they when they went to the installation where they had the Narada upgraded with, with the Borg nanotech, mm-hmm. I gotta say, I as I'm reading these issues, I did not realize that there was an upgrade, that it was the same ship. I, there's, uh, I just thought they like, like took the same name. Okay. But no, that it actually is the Narada ship. I mean, the, the mining ship that... Uh, <laughs> which pff, grew into the spiky thing. Which, uh, yeah. which was interesting. Um, I thought they just took the ship. Uh, but no. Um, they actually modified a mining ship to be... Uh, the, the the deadly Borg Narada. Which I think was unneeded. Did did you really need to have the Borg in here too? It, well, I, I think I think they had to do something to explain why the ship could kick everybody's butt. Right. But the idea that you could apply the the, the nanotech to an existing ship is like, did they have to do that? I don't well, know. See, I always, you know, when I watch the movie, I kind of like the idea that. That ship was just a simple mining vessel, but a hundred years in the future. So, you know, they have, you know, the technological advancement in the last hundred years. You know, a little simple mining vessel could take on a Federation starship of that time, of that era. You know, because they had quantum torpedoes where they didn't have that in in Kirk's time. So I kind of like the idea that it was just a simple mining vessel, but... I get that they had to, but but not only that. I mean, look at what look at what they did when they blew up those hospital ships. They didn't have phasers. 
No. Um, the the simple mining ships. They 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 took some kind of mining explosive or something and 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 put them onto to those ships. So, yeah, a hundred years in the future, but it's still a mining ship, and it's not going to be that well armed. Um, right, right. But I'm just saying that if you watch the movie, not reading yeah. this comic book, you would just assume that it really was a mining ship from the future. Well, yeah. I mean, because it never says but, it's modified with Borg technology. It's, you know, this super powerful ship that could take on yeah. the Enterprise E. It's just the ship got caught up with Spock and got sent to the past. Yeah. Yeah. But I kind of like Devil's Advocate, or actually just maybe a different opinion, but <laughs> I like the fact that the Narada went through a transformation. And as we'll see in this issue, or in these issues, and even more so in the Nero um, arc, mm-hmm. Nero and his crew go through a, <laughs> a heck of a transformation. So that, sure, in the movie when Nero is saying, we were just simple miners, it's like, they ain't simple miners now. Right. You know, they are dangerous, uh, you know, psychopaths. I mean, they're like, they're very far away from simple miners, and so is that ship. Right. But. Yeah. And I guess maybe that was kind of kind of the point, maybe, in the end, that they wanted to, you know, transition the ship like the, like, like the Romulans were, like, like, like Nero and his crew were. Right. But I just thought it was a bit more of a stretch to accept, as opposed to, oh, there's a Romulan uh, prototype ship. Already there that right, we're going right, to use right. to kick everybody's butt. Okay, we'll take that, and we'll okay. So bring bring along the uh, the drill platform. We'll stick that on there too. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I just think it made it unnecessarily cumbersome. I mean, yeah. reading this book, I enjoyed the transformation. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I, I liked in in the context of this book. I liked that it got upgraded to this super ship. I'm not too big a fan that it's. You know, they had to bring in board technology or whatever because it seemed unnecessary. Uh, but but anyways, I liked it in the context of the book. I'm just saying if you just watch the movie without any other expanded universe explanations, I also like how you would just assume that that was just a normal mining vessel and they were – just because they were 100 years further in the future, they could right. take on the Kelvin and things like that. Yeah, well, taking kind of the Kelvin is one thing, but eventually it had to take on um – a, a, a flotilla of uh, starships. Right, right, right. Yeah, anyways. Cool. So uh, I thought they made a pretty big deal about the color of Romulan blood. So it seems like it was popping up a lot. And it'll continue to pop up a lot. But interesting how the colors sometimes is kind of a brown or a tan color. At least it looks like to me. It doesn't look green. or not. It looks more like, like tan or, as opposed to green. Right. In most of the, most of the uh, panels. Yeah, yeah, like when they're getting stabbed and stuff. Exactly. Well, maybe they just they couldn't show green blood. That's too graphic. <laughs> <laughs> so it has to be tan. Tan's better. I don't know why. It could either tan be better. tan or Pepto Bismol color. Yeah. Uh, uh, those are the two acceptable blood colors. Right. You know, I I got to get back to to Data's skin color. Okay. Was it they? I don't remember this from when they had, uh, uh, from I mean, from when we were introduced to B four originally, in Nemesis. But did did he actually have more human like skin color? 
Or was he just the same color as Data? No, he was the exact same color as Data. That's what I thought. I mean, it would almost make more sense if he was more human-colored. Because it wasn't part of the thing that Sung was purposely made Data look not human with the with the color and everything and the eyes. Right. Um, but he then made his wife into a robot and she she looked 100% normal. Well, yeah, but only he had to relate to her. But, well, anyway, I don't know. He, he just, he, um, he just looks very human-like. Right. I, 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 sorry. Well, maybe, I, I, maybe, I maybe eight years in the future he, he finds out there's a thing called makeup. <laughs> and just with a little small dab of makeup, he, or, he won't get all the strange looks. Why even bother? Just, you know, just go ahead and replace your skin. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's some kind of a synthetic thing anyway. Right, yes, that's true. I mean, he had some of it replaced on his face anyways after the board. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's I would have been like, first could con- you replace that with, uh, could you just mix some some toner in there? <laughs> some tan number three, you know. <laughs> you know, flesh color, quote, flesh color. Well, anyway. I thought it was pretty cool on, again, page 19. Sorry, man. It show all, all the debris showing, and a bunch of close-ups of Starfleet bodies in space. Yeah, their heads. At, at, yeah, exactly. After an, after an encounter with the Narada, I thought that was pretty grim, and pretty good artwork. Kind of chilling. I liked it. Yeah, it was these good. Guys, and they didn't actually show nice, the battle; nice. they just showed the wreckage afterwards. Exactly. Yeah, like at Vulcan, when the Enterprise finally caught up, you know. Sometimes it's pretty powerful seeing nothing but wreckage left after uh, yeah, the aftermath. When the Enterprise caught, catches up, which part are you talking about there? Uh, two thousand nine movie. When oh, they oh, 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 right, right, went, right, 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 right. You know when uh, <laughs> when Sulu didn't take the parking brake off. Right. Exactly. Hey. Anyway. Love Wars flotilla flotilla of ships. Love them be up there at the end. It's like go get him, Worf. Of course, you know he can't. You know he's gonna fail, but go get him, Worf. My, my thing was is that they all seem to be small birds of prey. I didn't see any of the big yeah battle true. cruisers. True, which seemed odd because if you're going to take on this massive ship that's already destroyed lots of other ships, right? Well, why maybe make some little birds of prey. Well, maybe he figured speed over uh, sitting duck. I don't know, but he brought a lot of them. He did, and he'll need them. In issue number four. What else you got? That's all I got. All right, so issue number four will cover next week in episode 88. Yes. Uh, so just real quick, we'll do some of the expanded universe that was coming out at the beginning of 2009. There was novels, uh, and there was no TV shows, obviously. Um, so January, we had a book called Errand of the Fury, which was book three of Errand of Fury, entitled Sacrifices of War by Kevin Ryan. Uh, this was a mini-series set during the first season of Star Trek, the original series. I think it has to do with the Klingon Federation, like Cold War stuff. I have not read any of that series. Hmm. Uh, the other book that came out in January was a anthology book called Mirror Universes, mm-hmm. Shards and Shadows, hmm. which was just a bunch of short stories set in different... Um, well, actually, we just set in, all in the mirror universe. So different time lines within the mirror universe 
with evil Kirk and mm, evil, evil Archer and stuff like that. Right. I'd kind of like to get that one to see if they have a continuation of that Enterprise mirror universe where Yoshi was kind of taken over from she killed Archer and was taken uh-huh. over. <laughs> so I might have to track that one down. She seemed so nice before. Exactly. All right, February 2009, there was a Star Trek novel called The Singular Destiny by Keith R.A. Del Candio. And this was the first of several books uh, based after they had a big crossover series called Star Trek Destiny, which crossed over Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Next Generation, and anything else that existed in that timeline, Titan, things like that. Uh, It was a big all-out battle with the Borg, and this was the first book based after that, uh, that battle with the Borg. I have not read it, and I'm trying not to uh, read too many spoilers about it, because I, I do want to find time to read those. That sounds very cool. I know. I know. I'm trying to read all the books after Nemesis and Order, and there's just so many of them when you're reading the Voyager books, the Deep Space Nine books, the Titan books, uh, and I don't have all that much time to read because I'm always reading comic books <sighs> and talking about them. Exactly. Damn it. All right. And then so, Mar- so what kind of ship is Titan anyway? I don't know. It looks – I haven't read the Titan books, but uh, I read the first one. Um, but I've seen covers of later books, and it looks like the nacelles are different. They have one nacelle of one type and another nacelle of another type, so I'm assuming it takes damage and gets uh, uh, modified at some point, but I really don't know. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I do know. what It is a... Man, what's the type of ship it was? Oh, I forgot, because there's... All of the ships of that line are named after moons of Jupiter. Uh, so there's quite a few of them. I forgot what it's called. Maybe it'll come to me later. Alright, and then March of 2009, uh, there was a Titan novel called Over the Torrent Sea by Christopher L. Bennett. This was the eighth book of the Titan series, and it, uh, again, is based after the events of uh, Destiny, and basically they come across a planet made out of water. Where life should not exist, yet it thrives. Well, okay, let's move on. But that's, that sounds weird. <laughs> Made out of uh, water. Titan. Water. Titan's okay. also a weird series because it's supposed to be... Uh, Riker's crew is supposed to all be alien. So I think Riker's the only human on the ship, or one really? of the very few humans. Hmm. And so they keep introducing all these weird species, and and there's actually a crew member uh, that's aquatic, that lives inside of a spacesuit, kind of. That I think it's a woman. She has uh, water inside of her suit so that she can interact with people. But when she goes to her her room, it's it's like an aquarium. Cool. And two box there. I uh, looked up the Titan, and it is a Luna-class starship. Ah, I knew it had something to do with moons. Yes. Luna! Yeah, the only thing is, this this so generic... Is there a picture of it? Yeah, it, it sh- yeah well, there's a couple. 
Now, now this interesting one that shows just a general Luna-class starship it shows both nacelles being the same. But definitely looking at this artist's rendering, it looks to me that they're not the same. At least in this picture I'm looking at. Hmm. Oh, well. Whatever. Oh, I love this stuff. Love ships. I have to get myself a good picture of that. Moving on. I'm sure that it's been in one of the Ships of the Line calendar. Uh, believe me, I've had Ships of the Line calendars since they were available. And I will bet you dollars and donuts Titan has not showed up yet. Give it time. Give it time. Anyways, uh, are we done with this episode? I think we are. We should let the let the kitties go on with their day. Exactly. So, uh, so come back with us next week where we got some more of the Summer Movie Spectacular. With, uh, of course, continuing of filling in the gaps in the 2009 movie uh, story, which is right. very cool. So we'll finish off Countdown and we'll start up Nero. Yes. And Nero was real. I'm really enjoying Nero. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review